Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Today's scripture comes from Genesis 23, 1-4. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abram rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Here ends the reading. Safety and comfort. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't even matter where you live. From the time you were born until the time that you die, you desire those two things in your life. At certain points in your life, you desire them more than others. When you think back about January of the beginning of this year, and you consider the level of safety and comfort that you experienced, it may not have been ideal. But where we currently are, individually, as a country, as a world, we have seen a significant drop in a sense of safety and comfort for the majority of us. And as we think about the next six months to a year, that continues to be a concern because it's a part of the core of our being, that desire for a sense of security so that we won't feel this anxiousness all the time, a sense of comfort, a sense of well-being. It's a core part of what it means to be a homo sapien. So when we go back 10 to 20,000 years ago, we should not be surprised that our ancient ancestors desired the same thing. For today, a significant portion of our Earth's population look to some type of God or deity for that sense of safety and comfort. But when you go back far enough to the period of time when our ancient ancestors had not yet conceived of the idea of a god, where was it that they found their sense of comfort and security? Anthropologists speculate that they found it first and foremost in their relatives. In particular, their parents and their grandparents. At the time of the hunters and gatherers, it was very important that you passed on from one generation to the next. It was so important that you would let them know where the good hunting ground was, where, what kind of plants were safe to eat, when was the right time to move from one location to another, and as the seasons shifted, 
where should you shift as far as your location and what you called your temporary home? That was information that was passed on from generation to generation. And so those who were first and there were those who were younger, those the firstborns, they found this sense of security from their parents and their grandparents. But what happened when they died? When mom and dad and grandma and grandpa were no longer around, where did they find this sense of security and comfort when things got tough? Where did they find it when they felt threatened and a feeling of anxiousness took over? Many of them still looked to their ancestors. Because by then, they had conceived of the idea that all objects, living or non-living, possessed a spirit. And so it, once you have that idea in place, it's not very far to go with the idea that when your parents or your grandparents die, that their spirit continues to exist. And what takes place is a sense of ancestor worship. Ancestor worship is, a, according to one definition, is a religious practice based on the belief that deceased family members have a continued existence, that they take an interest in the affairs of the world and possess the ability to influence the fortune of the living. That's why it was so important that how you buried them, how you treated them before they died, and how you treated them after they died, that's why it was so important, all of these put together, because you could seek out their wisdom. And so imagine if you were in one of those family units, and over time you have developed these ancestors, that you acknowledge as part of your family system, even though they're dead. And your family unit meets up with another family unit. And you realize that if you work together in your hunting and gathering, you might actually make life a lot easier for each other. So as you came together, you would blend these different aspects of life as well as your ancestors. Now, that's easy when you have two groups, but what happens if you add a third or a fourth and now you have a clan rather than just family units? It becomes more difficult to keep everyone figured out as far as who's who in the ancestry. Also, as one of these family units came, some of them may have discovered the idea of a deity. And so not only did you have ancestor worship, but then you begin to worship the deities. In time, these two begin to come together. They became wedded together, the ancestor worship and these deities. And in some cultures, the ancestor, ancestors were actually seen as being gods or half-gods. But in time... 
it shifted, not completely dismissing, but the shift of the main focus moved from ancestor worship to polytheism, the many gods within a clan and eventually within a tribe. Now, we know that even though you had these many gods, there were many individual family units that still held onto their ideas of ancestor worship. In the story of Jacob and Rebekah, when Jacob decides to leave Laban and his family, the story says in Genesis that Rebekah stole the family idols. Idols that were unique to their family. Perhaps idols that represented their ancestors. And so while you can have polytheism, a belief in many gods, you could still have pockets in your tribe of those who believed and held on to their ancestors. But as tribes came together, they began to share their gods and then began to create another problem. Because religion throughout its history has been a great way of uniting people. The Persians, the Romans, when they went and defeated another nation, they allowed them to keep their gods. And that worked as far as lowering the level of tension and strife between you and those you've conquered. However, it also created a problem. And that problem was, how do you keep everyone united? So they begin to focus on the idea of one God, monotheism. So from ancestor worship to polytheism to monotheism, as that progressed, it didn't mean that one was separated from the other. That one, just because monotheism came in and took the dominant role, that you lost polytheism. Or just because of monotheism doesn't mean that you didn't have pockets of ancestor worship. But when monotheism came in in ancient Israel, there was a group of individuals who decided that everyone, for the sake of unity, everyone had to acknowledge this one God. And this group consisted primarily of the priests. And when they finally came together and edited the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible together, they used that opportunity to emphasize the importance of the worship of one true God. And so throughout the Old Testament, and especially the Pentateuch, you find this polemic against those who still held on to polytheism or ancestor worship. And a perfect example of this is in the text that was read from us from Genesis 23. I mean, why would you include the story of Abraham buying a burial plot for his wife? Why include all that? Well, if it came from the priestly writer, the one who's putting all of this in its final edition, this is a perfect opportunity to make a statement about death. And that's exactly, in my opinion, what the writer did. He creates this account of Abraham buying the plot for Sarah, this cave. 
and does it in a way that diminishes any idea of an afterlife. In accounting of this story, God isn't mentioned. There's no ritual that takes place when they bury Sarah. All of that is absent. The only thing that you find is this bargaining between Abraham and the one who owns the cave. But that story and the way that it's told indicates that for the priestly person, when Sarah is buried, there's no thought of an afterlife. She's just buried. What a great way to place an attack against ancestor worship. And not only does he do that there, but the account of that story becomes a paradigm, a model in which he describes how all the other patriarchs ended up being buried. It's almost as if this priestly editor or writer is saying, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. There is only one God. So there's no need, especially if there's no afterlife, to worship your ancestors. There's no need to worship other gods because there is only one true God, and that God is to be worshipped in Jerusalem. That movement did a wonderful thing as far as uniting Israel together, but it had a dramatic impact upon how people related to their God and found a sense of safety and comfort. Imagine if you found your sense of safety and comfort in worshiping your ancestors or worshiping your local gods. And then someone comes along and says, no, 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 that's all wrong. And you have to adapt to something new because the old way is wrong and only one way is right. But that happened in the past and that exact same thing continues to happen in the present. When you think about religious groups and in particular Christians who would go into other countries Countries that still held on to ancestor worship. That's exactly what they did. They would come in and say, no, 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 no. There's only one God. You can't worship your ancestors. And we took away something that gave them great meaning and value in their lives a sense of safety, a sense of comfort, of something outside of themselves. And we just took it away from them. We not only do it to ancestor worships, but we also do it when it comes to other gods. If you ask the Abrahamic faiths, the Jewish, the Muslim, and Christianity, 
if you ask them, what's the one true religion? They will all claim their own. But what difference does it make? The name that you give your deity. When at the core of what it means to be human is a sense of feeling within yourself a way in which you can find comfort and security when life gets hard. That's what we want from religion. So what right do we have to go and tell other people they're doing it wrong, they're believing it wrong? Now, remember what happened. It started with family units, family units, clans, clans, tribes, tribes, nations, nations, empires. And as that happened, we became more and more unified in our belief systems, and the outliers were seen as threats. We are living at a time in the history of our world where we need to come together and work together if we're going to ever overcome some major threats that are facing us. I mean, one of them we're in the midst of. Two of them we're in the All of them we're in the midst of. COVID-19. Global warming. Clean water. Just those three alone. The only way that we are going to be able to successfully as a homo sapiens deal with that is if we will come together and work together. But what happens is we allow religion to become a wall that separates it and becomes more divisive in how we relate to each other. What if we looked at the core of what it means to be a human being and the needs and desires that all of us have, no matter where we live. And does it really matter how you find a sense of safety, security, and comfort to make it through life? Now, some of you may say, yes, it does matter. That's your, whole, that's your belief. But will you give room for those who say, it doesn't matter? Because the reality is, we cannot allow religion to stop us from coming together as a world to face the imminent challenges before us. Just think about nuclear, the possibility of nuclear war. Can we allow these differences to be set aside because we understand that in the core of our being, we're all the same, we all have the same desires and needs? I, I hope so. As a Christian, 
I will hold to my faith. And I will give room for those who hold to other faiths. What about you? Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.